Good morning. Good morning. Um, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I'm excited to be able to be with you this morning. You know, I could not think of a better possible way to spend our Valentine's Day morning than together at church in a series about pain. Am I right? It's going to be a good time, a good old time. Well, hey, as we were uh, looking ahead at this, at this series, we were in Pastor Joe's office, and he has a bunch of things written on his whiteboard like he does, and one of the things that was written up there was Lego on the floor. And um, that's what we're going to be talking about today, is, is the Lego on the floor. You know, you, know the, you know what I'm talking about, right? When, when you're walking through a room and you're going about your day, and maybe the light's not on, or maybe you're just in a big hurry, and you step on that Lego. And there are words that come out of your mouth that I'm not allowed to say up here, um, but, but you know what I'm talking about, right? It's that pain of negligence, that pain of like, why did you leave the Legos out? Oh my word. But what I want to talk about today is a little bit more serious than just Legos, but I think that that serves as a pretty good illustration and a good metaphor. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time, and I can't really get up here and not talk about movies. It's like how I understand life sometimes, I feel like. But uh, one of my favorites is a movie called Goodwill Hunting. I watch it every year on my birthday, and there's a really iconic scene at, uh, towards the very end of the film where uh, Sean, who is Will's therapist, is in the office with Will, and they're almost done with all their meetings. And Sean has Will's rap sheet in his hand. He has his criminal record in his hand which we find out throughout the movie includes um, assault and battery, it includes impersonating an officer and grand theft auto and a number of other things. But Sean takes his rap sheet and he shows it to Will and he says, Will, do you see all this stuff? He doesn't say stuff. Um, he says, it's not your fault. And this goes on a few more times till eventually Will just breaks down crying because the point that Sean's making is all these things that you've done, all these, these awful things that you've spent time in jail for and, and various things, it's not your fault. He, he, you're reacting to the world around you because we, as we watch the movie, we find out that Will was a foster kid and his foster father abused him and, and stabbed him and put out cigarettes on him. And he's trying to convince Will, Will, it's not your fault. You're acting out out of things that have happened to you. And some of you may be able to relate to a character like Will Hunting. Some of you may not. But regardless, I think at some point or another, we all are going to have to reckon with this very question. What do we do with pain that isn't our fault? What do we do with pain that we didn't deserve to experience? Betrayal that we didn't deserve to experience? How do we deal with it when we absorb pain because of something that someone else did? Right? In a nutshell, we call this sin because sin just leads to death and destruction and separation. Right? We can trace all of that all the way back to the garden where good old Adam and Eve, and Adam was there, by the way, willingly and knowingly ate of the fruit that God told them not to eat. And ever since then, you and I are living in the aftermath of someone else's decision. And this is a cycle that seems to perpetuate itself throughout time. And there are all kinds of pain that we experience that we didn't cause, right? I'm talking about people who don't know how to have healthy relationships themselves or people who don't know how to deal with the trauma and the hardships that they have experienced in life. And so they don't know how to deal with it other than to just keep pouring it on to other people. I'm talking about abuse. I'm talking about neglect. I'm talking about physical abuse and sexual abuse and emotional abuse and mental abuse 
And, and, and when people have, have habits where they don't know how to just not hurt other people, right? This is, this is the difficult reality that we live with. Hurt people hurt people. People who are hurt, people who have gone through difficulties in life, people who have experienced some terrible, terrible things, tend to go on and hurt other people in the process. This is a kind of a trivial illustration, but have you ever noticed that when you bonk your head on a cabinet, your response is not to take the cabinet and gently shut it, right? Or am I the only one who takes that thing and I slam it and I basically break it off the hinges? But, but think about it. What pain do people inflict on each other that is not in some way or form a response to our own pain? Right? What kind of man who, who is confident and who's fulfilled feels the need to assault another woman? What kind of person who's confident in their own abilities and their own position, whatever that thing is, feels the need to go on and gossip about other people and slander about other people and get people fired behind their backs? Just about all of our sin is a response in some form to pain. If you think about the each other commandments, if you will, if you take the Ten Commandments and you take the last five, right, so you have thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery. Someone in the first service said that I said thou shalt not adult, but that's not what I'm saying here. Um, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, and you shall not envy. All of those tend to be out of pain. I don't have enough, I am not enough, whatever, whatever that is, my situation has to be different and I won't be okay until it is. Left unchecked, pain perpetuates pain. Hurt people hurt people. I read this in a book one time, so I'm not going to take credit for it, but I saw this and I love it because it just it sums it up just right. Sinful people tend to respond sinfully to being sinned against. I'll write that down, or I'll say it again because I didn't put it in the notes. Sinful people tend to respond sinfully to being sinned against. And we have to be aware of this cycle. We have to be aware of it because on one hand, we have to recognize that not everything is your fault. Okay? Are there any guilt internalizers in the house? Are any of you like me? And if something happens in a five-foot radius of you, you can explain why that's your fault, why, why you caused that thing to happen. And that can take a negative, arrogant turn, too, when, when things go well, but that's a whole other issue. But this is unhealthy, right? This, this creates a cycle of constant guilt and constant shame that we are not supposed to live with. So we have to be aware. Sometimes it's not your fault. On the, other, on the other side, on the other hand, we have to recognize that the buck has to stop somewhere, right? If hurt people hurt people, then there are people in the world who are hurt, who are going to hurt us, and then we're going to become the hurt people that just go on to hurt other people. And it's going to happen over and over and over and over again. And without trying to sound too psychoanalytical, there is a place for us to examine our own actions, to, to, to determine the source of our actions, habits that we have, behaviors that we have, tendencies that we have, to find out where did that come from? Why do I act that way? Why am I doing this? And then to make the choice not to perpetuate the hurt. As followers of Jesus, we're called to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave us. 
Okay? Now let me just let me sidebar for a really quick second. Okay? I recognize that some people in this room, some people who are watching online, some people who are listening to this in the future, have been through some serious, serious, serious stuff. Okay? And at times it can feel cheap just to say, oh, forgive, oh, forgive, oh, forgive. You're just supposed to forgive. So I don't want that to be cheap this morning. And, and I pray that the Holy Spirit uses this and, 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 and it's not super cheap. But we do follow the Jesus who said that if anyone slaps you, you're supposed to turn the other cheek to them. If they sue you and take your cloak, give them your tunic as well. If they force you to go a mile, you voluntarily go another mile with them. The truth is this, forgiveness is a costly thing, okay? Let me tell you what's not costly, revenge. Revenge is not costly because what happens if you slap me and I get mad at you and I slap you back? What do we have in common? We both got slapped. We both slapped the other person. We are even, okay? But you don't get even in forgiveness. That's not how forgiveness works. And frankly, biblically speaking, revenge isn't our job anyway. It's God's job. It's God's job to, to enforce justice, so we, as followers of Jesus, we have to forgive, which means we have to bear the brunt of other people's hurt. We have to do that without inflicting it back, either on the person who caused it to us or on the people around us that we're tempted to take it out on. We have to absorb it. We have to eat the cost. Because this is how God's forgiveness in Christ works for us. Our sin deserves His judgment, His holy and righteous wrath against sin. And a lot of times, people stop here and they're like, whoa, 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 hang on a second. I haven't done a lot of these terrible things. And we get in this comparison game, right? Where we're like, oh, well, that guy did all these awful things and I haven't done anything nearly that bad. But I think that when we get in that, in, in that mode, we are cheapening and we are failing to see just how holy God really is. When we take time to recognize that God's thoughts are pure, that his actions are right, that his justice is perfect, that his wisdom is inexhaustible, that his timing is impeccable, and his power is unrivaled, and ultimately at the end of the day, God's ways are higher than our ways. When we get to that point, when we recognize that God is holy and we are not then we start to have the right view of our sin and we see how good God really is. Let me put it to you this way. Let's say that you have a plain white t-shirt and your job is not to get a stain on that plain white t-shirt. Okay? You're having a cup of coffee, you spill a little drop of coffee on it. Guess what? You have a coffee stain. Let's say you're extra clumsy, you pour the whole entire cup of coffee on your, on your shirt. Guess what? you have a coffee stain, right? We're all equal. And as image bearers of God, we have to recognize that any sin that we commit, big or small, is an offense against the person of God. And that's why sin deserves God's judgment. Now, I was going to use a metaphor at this point in my notes, so Lord help me not to get too far off it, but the Holy Spirit kind of wrecked this whole thing yesterday and told me not to use it. Um, but I do, I do want to say this. There is nothing that the enemy of your soul wants more than using the sin of other people at any time and in any place in your life 
to uproot and cause um, um, instability in your faith in God, okay? Recently, and I'm I'm not going to use any names, but recently a a prominent Christian figure has been uh, outed for, for some really awful stuff that happened. And I'm not going to comment on that, but here, this has been my prayer because I've thought about this a lot in the last few days. My number one prayer is, God, can we please not lose all of the people that he reached? Because he had a huge ministry and he, he, he spoke and preached to a lot of people. And a lot of times his theology was pretty good. And a lot of people had a real impact on their, God had a a real impact on a lot of people because of his ministry. So my prayer is, God, can we not lose them, please? Because our faith is in Jesus. Our faith is not in people who are around us because, friends, people are always going to let you down at some point or another. We're always going to let each other down. We're always going to hurt each other because hurt people hurt people. And some of us aren't doing it on purpose. It just kind of is the way that we are sometimes. And we need to recognize, you and I need to recognize, I want to not be this way. But we also have to extend a little bit of grace and understand that this is how people tend to deal with life. Okay, Um, I'm going to, you know what, sorry, sorry graphics people, I'm skipping by my scripture for a second. Um, I'm going to go to the book of Genesis with you, and um, I'm not changing everything, but we're going to look at the story of Joseph today. Now, Joseph was a guy whose life was radically altered. The trajectory of his life was changed completely by the actions of other people. And we're going to see that. Now, his story goes from Genesis chapter 37 all the way through Genesis 50. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of leapfrog and do some of the big details and and jump through this. It's one of my favorite activities to try to tell a Bible story as quickly as I possibly can without missing too many details. So here we go. We meet Joseph as a 17-year-old boy. Um, and I do say boy because he was only 17. Um, he was the second youngest of 12 brothers, but he was his father's favorite. Okay? One day, uh, he's out in the field working with his brothers, and they did something. We're not really told what. So they come home, and Joseph rats his brothers out to his dad, Jacob. Well, Jacob says, thanks for the information. Here's a pretty coat. And he gives him this really nice coat, and his brothers see this, and they hate Joseph for it because Joseph is the favorite. Well, then as we continue to read, we see Joseph has a couple of dreams. And in these dreams, there are 12 bushels of grain, and they all bow down to one bushel of grain in the middle. And it's it's supposed to represent Joseph. And then he has another dream where the sun, moon, and and 12 stars uh, bow down in front of him. And so his, his, his brothers get mad at him for this, and his dad rebukes him for this. And um, his brothers hate him so much that they say, hey, let's kill him, right? I mean, I'm a youngest sibling, so I get that we're annoying, but my parents, or not my parents, my parents didn't either. My siblings did not ever want to kill me, I don't think, right? So Reuben, who's one of the oldest siblings, says, hey, wait, 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 let's not kill him. Let's just toss him in a pit because Reuben has plans to go back later and get Joseph out of the pit. So that's what they do. They throw Joseph into the pit. And then all of a sudden there's this caravan of slave traders that comes through. And one of them says, hey, I got a better idea. Let's sell Joseph. And so they get him out of the pit and they sell him to this caravan of slave traders for 20 shekels. Um, I did a little Google search. You can fact check me on, on this if you want. But Google tells me that 20 shekels would be about $400 these days. And if you do a little math and divide 400 by the 11 remaining brothers, they each got 36 bucks. 
they each got to go out for a really nice meal to get rid of their brother Joseph. Okay? So, from there, Joseph gets sold on from the people who bought him to this guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar is a high up who works for Pharaoh. And so Joseph's working at this new job, and things are actually going pretty well for him. Um, He's put in command of the house, and the text says that Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything except for the food that he ate every night. So things are going really, really well for him. Except one day, uh, we find out that Potiphar's wife happens to have the hots for Joseph, and she wants to get lucky with him, if you know what I mean. And so at day after day, uh, she, she makes her advances, and day after day, Joseph says, no, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. Well, one day, she makes her advance again, she grabs him by the robe. Joseph says, oh, I know what's going on here, and he runs away, and he runs away so fast that his robe is left in her hand. So what does she do? She frames him. She, she goes to some of Potiphar's other higher-ups and says, look what this guy tried to do. Look what this Hebrew tried to do. He tried to take advantage of me, and then he ran away just because I screamed. And so word of this gets to Potiphar, and Potiphar tosses Joseph in prison. And that's where he stays for a little while. Well, one day, a couple of guys in prison have these, have, they each have a dream, and they're different dreams, and uh, it's really bothering them. And so Joseph says, tell me your dream. I happen to be able to interpret dreams. And so that's what they do, and they tell them the, his, their, their, their dreams, and, and Joseph interprets them and says, this is what's going to happen. And guess what? It happens just the way that Joseph said it was going to. And this is the one thing Joseph says. He says, hey, when you get all big and famous and you're working for Pharaoh, don't forget about me. And sure enough, he kind of forgets about him for a little while. So Joseph's spending some time in jail. And one day, Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh, if you don't already know, is like the leader of Egypt. He is the guy. Um, And so Pharaoh has a dream. And it's really, really bugging him because he really wants to know, what in the world does this dream mean? And then all of a sudden, the guy who was in prison with Joseph remembers, oh, I know a guy. Okay, where is he? Oh, he's in jail. We'll go get him. So they go and they get Joseph, and he, he comes before Pharaoh. So, so Joseph goes from being in prison to being in front of the ruler of the whole entire country, land of Egypt. And so Joseph says, Pharaoh, tell me your dream. And so Pharaoh tells him the dream, and Joseph says, all right, here's what this means. God is trying to tell you that Egypt is about to have seven years of plenty where everything's going to go really well, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. So what you need to do, oh great Pharaoh, is you need to hire some guys, put them in charge, have them save up crops during the time where everything is plentiful. That way, when the famine comes along, we're going to be okay and we're going to have enough food. And Pharaoh says, that's a good idea. I'm hiring you. You're my guy. And so there we have it. So he, he was in jail. Now he's basically Pharaoh's chief of staff. So what happens next? He does exactly what he told Pharaoh that he should do. He saves up 20% of the grain while the, land, or while the time of plenty is going on. And in fact, if you read the text, you find out that Egypt is the global supplier of grain. Joseph is running the biggest grain business in the world at this point. And so one day, Jacob, who is Joseph's brothers, and if I get my J names mixed up, please forgive me. I'm talking too fast sometimes, and it's easy to get them mixed up. But Jacob, who is Joseph's father, sends the other brothers up to Egypt to get grain for their family. So this is what they do. They travel up. They go to Egypt. They get in front of the governor who is selling them grain. And who is selling the grain except for our boy Joseph? 
And I love this, and I really want to encourage you to read the story for yourself at some point, because this part's especially fun, because it just feels like a showdown. This is the climax of the movie. You're like, oh, I know who they're going to go see, and how is this going to play out? Well, it, it, the, the tension kind of deflates really quickly because they don't even recognize Joseph. Okay? It's been at least 20 years, because if we do some math with some context clues, he was 17 when they sold him, he was 30 when he started working for Pharaoh, and then the seven years of plenty have already gone by. So at the very least, he's 37 now, and it's been 20 years since they last saw him. Not only that, but at, during this time, he's been living like an Egyptian, right? He's talking like an Egyptian, he is dressing like an Egyptian, he is walking like an Egyptian, I had to, thank you. Um, but they don't even recognize him. Now, for a little bit of context, just for, for kicks and giggles, um, I dug up a picture of my high school graduation when I was 17 and a picture from this last year. Uh, on the left, I'm the guy in the middle, not the guy on the right, just in case you couldn't tell. Uh, and then on the right, there's my lovely wife and myself at a Christmas tree farm. And what you can tell is that there's a lot more hair on the lower part of my face. And the older I get, there's less hair on the top of my head. That was just for fun. I hope you enjoy it. There's a little 17-year-old Jeffy is what they called me at the time. Um, have you ever done that thing, though, where you see someone for the first time in like 10 years and you're like, wait a second, I recognize you do you recognize me? And it's kind of awkward and not really sure how it plays out. But here we are, Joseph's in front of his brothers. They have no idea who he is at this point. And I'm going to have to jump kind of through the rest of the story extra fast now. Uh, long story short, he provides some grain for the brothers. He messes with them a little bit, has some fun with them, but he ends up um, giving them the grain that they need. He gets to see his father again, who for 20 years thought that his favorite son was dead. I'm sure they had a whole lot of catching up to do. And eventually, uh, his, his father passes away, and they mourn him and bury him, and then they settle in the land of Egypt. But where I want to read to you today is out of Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. This is what it says. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. But his brothers also came and fell down before him. So at first they just sent a message to Joseph. Now they're actually in his presence. And they fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. As we kind of come to the end of things today, I want to take away uh, four points out of Joseph's life that I want to share with you about this idea of what do we do, what does it mean when, when we step on the Lego of other people's hurt in their lives. So number one, pain passed on has an effect on us. I should have said pain passed on has a real effect on us. You know, Joseph stepped on the proverbial Lego of his brother's jealousy and anger. 
It wasn't his fault. I mean, he had dreams, but he, he couldn't really help that. He couldn't help that his father loved him the most. But his brothers got mad at him about it, and they sold him on. And guess what? That changed his life forever because he no longer lived in dad's house with his family. He, he, he had to go somewhere else, essentially develop a new identity, find out who he was in this different place with a culture that wasn't like him. And he had to live with that. He had to live with the reality of what Potiphar's wife did to him, which was falsely accuse him and frame him and get him thrown into prison. Wouldn't it be really nice if when, when, when we're in a car accident or something like that, if, if it wasn't our fault, there's no damage to the car. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, I get that insurance pays for it, but wouldn't it be nice to not have to jump through all those hoops? In the same way, wouldn't it be nice if the things that we experience because someone else has a problem, because someone else has an issue, wouldn't it be nice if those didn't affect us at all? But I think we have to be honest about that. I think we have to be honest that it has a real effect. Sometimes it has a very long-lasting effect. And we have to first recognize that if we want to move forward. Number two, our pain can put us right where God wants us. And or, God can use us in the place that our pain takes us. Now, I don't want you to hear that Joseph's life was just honky-dory and great, okay? Because it wasn't. It had some good moments, but it wasn't easy, okay? But there's this domino effect, right? Each thing has to happen for the next thing to happen. If Joseph hadn't hadn't ended up in slavery, then he would have never gotten thrown into prison. He wouldn't have gone before Pharaoh. He wouldn't have interpreted the dream. Who knows how the world would have gotten on without all of Egypt's grain, There was a purpose and a point to everything that that Joseph experienced. And I know that sometimes when we're going through stuff, it's easy to say, well, why me? Why did I have to go through this? This isn't fair. This doesn't make sense. And the Bible does promise that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, some of you hear that. And you're like, oh my goodness, that's just so pithy and it's cheap and it doesn't mean anything. But note this, it doesn't say that everything that happens is going to be good, okay? If it hurts, that's part of it. I understand that. No one's denying. To, to acknowledge that scriptural truth is not to say that things don't actually hurt. So don't hear me say that. Let me illustrate this for you in a way. Um, cinnamon. What? Yes, cinnamon. Okay, if you try to eat a tablespoon of cinnamon, you will gag, you will choke, and I read on the internet that it's going to do some permanent damage to your lungs, or it can do some permanent damage to your lungs. But, have you ever had a cinnamon roll from Purdy's Coffee Company? Holy cow. Or have you ever just mixed cinnamon and sugar and had a buttered piece of toast with cinnamon sugar on it? Or have you had cinnamon toast crunch? Amen, right? Okay, so you have this thing that on its own, no one likes to eat cinnamon by itself. It's not good for you to eat cinnamon by itself. But with the right accompanying ingredients and in the right person's hands, it can become something even greater. So ask yourself, or better yet, ask God, what position 
might my pain have put me in? Who has this brought me near? Who have I met as the result of this experience that I can show Jesus to? Or who have I met that has shown Jesus to me? I think we do God a disservice if we don't recognize that the creator of the universe who spoke the world into existence with a word can come up with a creative end to the means of our pain. So ask him, where, where might you have me, Lord, because of what I've been through? Number three, reconciliation is possible. Okay? Healing is possible. And friends, it might take a long time. If Joseph's any indicator, it took 20 plus years. It took being sold into slavery. It took a stint in jail. It took a time of, 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 of playing. And it took a famine. But eventually, that healing finally came. And honestly, as we read through, we don't know uh, if he's really thinking about home. I think he might mention it once or twice throughout the whole entire story. But we don't know that he's thinking about his brothers for better or worse. We don't know that he's sitting around thinking about how he can uh, just get one over on them when the time comes. We don't see him going around saying, oh, I really miss my brothers and I wish I was back with my dad. We don't see that. But what we do see is that when he has the opportunity... He doesn't take it. And don't miss that Joseph was one of the most powerful people in all of Egypt. He, he had one of the greatest positions of influence in all of Egypt. But when his brothers were before him and when they needed something desperately, he did not withhold it. Oh, he messed with them some. He made them jump through a few hoops. It's kind of funny if you read it. But he did not take the opportunity to destroy them. So I don't know what bitterness you might be holding on to today. I don't know what situation uh, this resonates with in your life, but forgiveness is possible. If we go back to this Lego on the floor thing, you can either leave the Lego on the floor so that someone else might step on it, or you can pick it up. Have you ever noticed that sometimes that's what it takes to, to clean the room? Or that's what it takes to make your kids clean the room? Right? You have to recognize that there's a mess in order to clean it up. That's how it works sometimes. Paul tells the Romans, insofar as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. That's our call. That's our responsibility. And if God calls us to something, he's going to give us the grace to do it as well. Number four, and this is my final point today, a brighter day is coming. Okay? Joseph's life was a roller coaster, man. I mean, he went from being really really well off at home and he got this nice coat from his dad and everything's going well to being thrown into slavery and almost killed right before. And then he starts to do well at his new job and then he's thrown in jail. And then he gets an even bigger promotion, right? And I'm not trying to tell you that on this side of heaven, everything is going to be great in your life and you're going to get to a point where, where everything stops and you never hurt again. Listen, Life's like this sometimes, where, where we can make progress, and one day we're not hurting and we're feeling good and everything's good, and then the next day we feel that deep ache, that, that pulsating pain of that thing that happened so long ago. If you feel like you can't string a series of wins together, if you feel like you can't gain momentum, I just want to encourage you, that's called being human, Okay? A lot of times, our lives are like this classic diagram of success that you might see on the internet where we assume it's just going to go in one way. Like, like you meet Jesus, it's all going to be uphill from there. Uphill in the good way, not the bad way. 
Your, your life's just going to get good and you're never going to hurt and your, your, your wallet's going to be full and everything's going to be great. Well, newsflash, that's not going to happen on this side of heaven, okay? A lot of times it's going to look like that other one where you might move forward some and then you're going to move back and you're going to feel like you're moving in the wrong direction. But we continue to move forward because we see that Joseph's story is a preview of the kingdom that's yet to come. Okay, the kingdom of God is already, but it's also not yet. And we live in that tension, and at the vineyard, we embrace that tension. We look forward to the day when Jesus consummates his kingdom, and and every tear is going to be wiped from our eyes, and all pain and all suffering is going to cease. But until that day, what we're responsible for Picking the Lego up off the floor, picking up our cross, and following after him. And let me say this too. We don't do this alone, okay? There is a place for us as the church to see the people in our community. And I'm not just talking about our community in Madison County. I'm talking about our community here. And we see the people that are hurting. We see the people that are struggling. We see the people who've experienced great pain. And we come alongside them. And just like Pastor Janice said last week, there is a place for us to show up, to sympathize, and to shut up. (laughs) That's okay. We do this together. We do this as the church. Paul tells the Romans in uh, Romans 15, chapter 1, the strong among us have an obligation to deal with the infirmities of the weak is what he says. It's not a stretch to suggest that we are here to help each other bear the burdens that life has given us. At this time, what we're going to do is we're getting ready to stand to our feet and sing a song here in a minute, but uh, I just want to encourage you, if you need prayer about anything, listen, maybe this message hit home, maybe it went right over your head, anything that's going on in your life. If you need healing, if you need hope, if you need courage, whatever that thing is this morning, I really want to encourage you to take advantage of this prayer team out there. Listen, we're going to be safe. We're going to keep our masks on and social distance and all that good stuff. But I just want to encourage you to come to Jesus this morning. And if you're watching online, I want to encourage you to go over to vineyardrichmond.com. In the bottom right-hand corner, there's a little green prayer chat button. And there's a real person that's behind there and they would really like to pray with you. And isn't it amazing that God is so wise and so omniscient that it's tacking on a keyboard, but it's a real prayer. We can do it that way. I believe that the Holy Spirit is saying this to us as the body today. Just pick up the Lego. Don't step on it again. Don't leave it for someone else to step on in the future. I know that when we've gone through stuff, when we've experienced stuff, it's easy for us to to justify our actions and say, well, I do this because other people did even worse things to me. I know the temptation and the allure of that. Again, that's normal. I understand that. But we are called to something greater than that. At this church, there's a saying that we always say, come as you are. Come with all of your burdens. Come with all of your pain. Come with all of your wounds. Jesus wants it all. Jesus paid for it all. But don't stay that way. Don't keep justifying your actions. Don't keep repeating the cycle of hurt and of pain in your life. There's a brighter day coming. That day can be today. I don't want you to hear that you need to just 
suck it up and get over it. Now we got to acknowledge it first. We got to acknowledge that there's a real Lego. <laughs> Sometimes we step on it and we got to clean it up. We got to move forward. And we can take that to Jesus because Jesus, Jesus is our Joseph. Jesus is our Joseph who was betrayed for silver. Jesus is our Joseph who shared a meal with his betrayer. Jesus is our Joseph who was falsely accused and ultimately he wasn't just thrown in prison, he was put to death for something he never did all because of someone else's jealousy and anger. Jesus is our Joseph who doesn't deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. And I want to encourage you, that is Psalm 103.10. You should read that Psalm every morning when you get up. Jesus is our Joseph who promises to provide for us. And Jesus is our Joseph who took on the cost of our sin and reconciled us to himself. Let's pray this morning. God who is God in heaven, there is no pain, there is no hurt that goes unseen by you. God, we thank you that in the form of Jesus Christ, the God-man, that you came to the earth and you experienced the pain and the betrayal and the accusal that we sometimes experience as people. God, we understand that this pain's not going to go away on this side of heaven, that it's not going to go away forever. We understand, God, that there are going to be days where we hurt and there are going to be days when we cry and there are going to be days when we just beg you to come back and take this all away. But God, this morning we want to follow after you. Jesus, you said that all who are weary and heavy laden can come to you and you will give us rest. So God, I want to pray that anyone and everyone who is under the sound of my voice, whether it's in the building here this morning, right now at this very moment, whether it's online watching through the live stream, or whether it's listening to the podcast in the future, however that goes, God. If there is someone under the sound of my voice, God, who is weary and heavy laden with the troubles and the burdens of life, God, my prayer is that you would prompt them through your Holy Spirit just to come to you to come to you with their tears, to come to you with their hurt, to come to you with all of their wounds. We can come to the Savior who bore them all for us on the cross. We thank you for the work that you've done, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to be at work in this place this morning. We ask that you would draw hearts closer and closer to you and that you would transform us into your image from glory to glory this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church, let's stand up. Let's get ready to worship.